Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. Yes, it is. And welcome back as we head into hour three this Monday, April 5th. I really want to give a big uh, thank you to Brandon Weikert, uh, who usually spends his second hour with us on Mondays. But he got he generated so many phone calls from you all. I wanted to make sure to the degree he had time. You uh, you all got a chance to talk with Brandon. He is, as you can tell, as you can see, a uniquely insightful analyst. Uh, he is the publisher of the Weikert Report, W-E-I-C-H-E-R-T, theweikertreport.com, columnist for the Asia Times <clears throat> and the author of Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower. Brandon, I'm happy to go to the calls unless you want to reset from where we were at the last end of the last hour, which was talking about the kinds of things that make you want to drink a lot of wine when uh, we talk about <laughs> America's ability to compete with China. Either way, we can go to calls or you can finish yeah, up. The only thing I'm going to say to that is we still are uniquely suited to reorient ourselves rather rapidly and get competitive again. But, you know, it's going to require a new generation of political leadership not just from the Democratic Party, but on the right. And my real fear is that the right is so captured by, frankly, old ways of thinking from the donor class from the last half century that we're going to be too slow to respond. Because we know how the Democrats are going to respond to these threats. If they respond at all, it won't be sufficient enough. And the problem is the Republican Party, a lot of it is captured by these business interests and these investment interests that need to do business in China. So, there, you know, our political leaders will only be able to go so far, uh, you know, in, in kind of rallying people to rise to the, the China challenge. And then, of course, you have the entrenched bureaucracy, which, frankly, has not really been Republican since really Reagan was in office. And so now we have another generation we're going to have to basically, you know, rebuild and rehabilitate. And that's going to require us winning elections. And I don't know if the Republican Party in its current form is capable of ever winning national elections again. Well, I'm worried about the second part a little bit, or, or, the, or the follow-on part, if we do win an election, the, the cleaning out of the bureaucracy that you were talking right. about in the last hour and just now, uh, loosely called the phrase the swamp that, uh, that uh, was brought into popularity That's about correct. four years ago. That's if correct. Donald Trump, who is the biggest bull in any China closet, can't drain it, it does. It does make one nervous. Maybe right. maybe there are other ways to do it. Uh, there there might be, but um, I can't think of any. Yeah. It really is going to take a, a president and a friendly Congress yeah. to at least say we're going to have to change the way the bureaucracy operates. Yeah. It cannot be unchanged. We're going to have to do it. And you're right. If Trump couldn't do it, and he was the loudest, most vociferous proponent of this. Uh, in, any, in, a, in a sense, and I say this with all due respect, in a sense, the swamp drained him. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. you know, and and, and he, part of being part of being an analyst is I have to be objective. No, he fought the swamp, and the swamp upset. won. Right, I, I think that's, that's a fair. Right. I think that's fair. 
And 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 so maybe what is needed are you know uh, uh, more Machiavellian uh, uh, inside players. And I hesitate to right. even say that because that's part and parcel of the problem. But there are people like you in and around there, Washington. Yes. There are people like yes. Dave Reaboy in and around. Right, right. right. You and I could right. come up with. Well, and, it's, yeah. and that's the thing, though. And one last thing before we go to calls is, you know, I've been analyzing. And as you know, I have a lot of interaction with it, with, believe it or not, with the Biden administration, sure. surprisingly. They know my politics and they're still consulting me on some issues related to space so that should give us all a, a sigh of relief yes, i think absolutely uh, but but the one thing that i have observed and this is what a a general who does space policy told me who worked both under trump and now under biden he said that politically he, he is a republican but he told me that the one thing he will never forget is the day that biden was sworn in he said that the biden team came in and filled every vacancy yeah. within 24 hours yeah. And he said their organization was inc- incredible. And when you look at the way that they operated for four years in opposition to Trump, even when they were losing, they didn't lose because they had Bolshevik-level discipline. They were always united, always together, marching in the same direction. That is a kind of uniformity of purpose that the Republican Party has never had. And so what we need to do, instead of focusing on one politician to elect to lead us, instead of that, we should look what the Democrats did. They picked kind of a brain-dead, doddering old guy, but they surrounded him with a group of, of highly competent administrators who were all partisans and were young, and they were going to outlast any, any opponent, and they could operate as a collective. And so future going forward, the Republicans need to get rid of the cult of personality and try to build up a coalition of people who can operate behind the scenes who are skilled bureaucratic insiders, like a bunch of Donald Rumsfeld, and can actually implement and not have to get stuck in the kind of Twitter facts and the you know the, the the public kind of you know ridiculousness that distracts and and, and I don't know how we're going to do that but it, that is the way forward we need to be a collective and not just about one particular politician well maybe it starts with putting together lists of of, of people ready to go with the agenda I think that's right I, I mean you may recall when Trump started out it took a long time to fill positions that just had people scratching their heads they just weren't ready for it I suppose right. Well, right. Seth, a lot of those positions went unfilled for all four years. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, let me uh, let me take a few more calls with you, Brandon. Tom in Scottsdale. Hi, Tom. You're on with Brandon Weikert. Hello, Seth. I really enjoyed the show. Thank you, um, Brandon. I'm uh, working on your your book right now, and you, you bring up a lot of uh, uh, important points. Oh, I dropped him. Oh my gosh, that was my bad. Oh, uh, tell Tom to call right back. We'll put him right on. That was my my bad, Brandon. Oh, he was so he was so positive. I know, like, I know. He was giving us all these compliments, so we got re- Tom. Please call us right back. Meantime, Brian is on with Brandon. Hi, Brian. Hey, hey guys, thanks for uh, having me on. You know, I, I served uh, the Third Battalion, Army Ranger, uh, Special Forces. I just want to tag in on on the conversation. Look, uh, we've been around doing this stuff for a long time. We study historical warfare. Uh, as operators, and uh, I just wanted to touch on the point of the, some of the quote-unquote fear-mongering and some of the generals that are out there, look, and, and China and Russia and, and their threats technologically, uh, and just reaffirm with people that there's guys like me uh, and other right. guys that I train and everything else. If they really want to do boots on the ground and they are able to technologically have an advantage on us for whatever reason, um, we're just going to level them on the field. So totally not even worried about it. Hmm. 
Well, it, it, <laughs> I'm reminded of an old, uh, an old uh, Monty Python skit of people admiring these giant cats, huge giant cats, and then they started breaking things at buildings. <laughs> and someone said, yes, man, well, but at what cost? At what cost? Right. Would be the well, I just here. want to posit that I, 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 I actually do interface with the Special Forces Command, um, and uh, I have had interactions with them, and they, they have spoken to me. Uh, on issues uh, related to uh, basically keeping keeping the special forces in the fight when the initial shooting starts with a rival like China. And there is no doubt that we have elements of our force that are hyper-competent. But what I'm talking about is, um, is not the individual or even, uh, you know, unit capabilities or of individual units in, in the fight. What I'm talking about is at the strategic level, if they can blind and debilitate our ability to coordinate electronically or over technology, um, then you have basically very small groups of American forces exposed to much larger uh, uh, forces of enemies, whether it be the Russian or Chinese forces. And yes, our, our fighters are better trained. They have a lot more experience. But ultimately, quantity has a quality all of itself. And uh, if we lose those technological force multipliers, we're now going to be in a meat grinder where for every one American, uh, you know, whether it's special forces or just regular uh, forces, every one American unit that's lost, you've got, you know, five or ten other uh, Chinese or Russian units that are just rolling over. And so that's an issue of numbers. It's an issue of we lose those technological advantages. And so something that I've been talking to special forces about is the CubeSats and how we, how we could plug uh, some of the, the loss of capacity should some of our communications or surveillance satellites go down. So I took them, you know, something that they've been looking into, something that I've been encouraging is investing in cube satellite, nanosatellite capabilities so that we could deploy these smaller satellites that are more rudimentary but could keep our forward-deployed forces in a fight longer should they lose the regular communication, surveillance, uh, you know, command and control type uh, satellite functions. But even then, that's just a Band-Aid on a big wound. And uh, if we don't have the depth or capacity to respond, uh, you know, it, 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 it's, it's a scenario I, I shudder to think. I, I heard an Air Force general say, about three years ago, that the last thing we should want is the United States military to ever face a fair fight. And my concern is when you look at what the Chinese are specifically tailoring their forces to do, and the Russians as well, my concern is that that is precisely the, the, the scenario they're establishing where there's a fair fight, and we don't have enough forces deployed to the Indo-Pacific in particular uh, to really stop China from rolling into Taiwan or to stop China from doing something shady in the South or East China Sea, especially if they engage in the kind of tactics that I've been talking about. Um, let me do this. I have to take a break. I'm going to keep you one more segment, if that's okay, Brandon, because um, I want to do two things. Give Tom an opportunity to call back, 602-508-0960. And, if, and, and whether he does or doesn't, have you talk about the other problem with that equation from the caller is yeah you talk you guys can talk about whether we have the physical uh the physical uh, materiel to fight these wars i don't know that we have the cultural moral sentiment to fight that That's kind part of the equation too. yeah i want to talk yeah. to you about that when we come back i'm seth he's brandon weicker 
602-508-0960. Tom, please do call us back. I apologize for my technical uh, technical deviancy. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Uh, Brandon Weikert has been so generous with his time, and so too listener-caller Tom, who I, I really made a mess of uh, in that last uh, segment. Tom, thanks for calling back. I think I figured out my errors, and you are now on with Brandon Weikert. Start over, please, sir. Okay, Seth. Uh, enjoy the show. Thank you. Uh, Brandon, uh, a good book. I'm working on it right now, and you raise a lot of uh, interesting points about China's potential to, to take out our uh, portion of our uh, military satellite communication systems. But I've studied a lot of military history. Um, you know, the military recognizes this threat as well. And uh, as far as your dealings with the military, Washington, uh, I'm sure you uh, have uh, heard that they, they have a plan B if China attacks our satellite uh, communications capabilities. Brandon, go ahead. Do we not have Brandon? Brandon, I'm here. Sorry. Oh yeah, sorry, no, that's all right. So uh, he was sorry. I, I, there, there are redundancies built in. Yes, and there are certainly things uh, that the military is gamed out and that they are working on. But the problem is, uh, the to to be able to believably have a uh, an ability to rely on our communications capability if it's degraded, you need to have the kind of political support and buy-in that until very recently was not there. So, for instance, something that we've known, uh, our satellites, the way that the military procures our satellites, is it has not really changed in about three or four decades. It's, it's all been done as if there is no real threat. And so now what we were finding, beginning in 2014 or 2013 when I worked on the Hill, what we were finding is that the Chinese and the Russians uh, realized that we were very dependent on these systems, and yet these big, unwieldy systems that we've been putting into orbit, bundling as many capabilities as possible, making them very hard uh, to build again because they're very expensive, and that means they're heavier, it's harder to get them into orbit, so we have to use specialized rockets for them. All of that creates a cost imposition that Congress and the political establishment is unwilling to fund enough of. So we always have just enough to get by, but never enough if we got into a real fight over those systems, never enough to really comfortably survive in a fight. And so something that the Trump administration was looking at and something that the Space Force is starting to do, but we're just starting to do, we should have done this 15 years ago, is they're starting to basically procure satellites for the military that aren't as complex, that are cheaper to produce so that we have more spares on hand, that can be used or rather deployed on a civilian rockets. Uh, they're using SpaceX, which has helped to cut costs for the Pentagon launch costs by about 40%. But we still have... Uh, a lot of our satellites are legacy systems, and, uh, you know, we have what Thomas Taverney, who's a, a retired general in the Air Force, who consults uh, on space matters at the Pentagon, he calls it the vicious circle of space acquisition. And so we certainly have redundancies, but the problem is a bolt from the, a bolt from the blue attack, or in this case a bolt from the black attack in space, it's still going to knock us back on our rear end. 
and we're going to be reeling. And in that time frame that we're reeling and trying to switch over to alternative systems, which, by the way, the reason that there's a problem is because we're going to lose bandwidth. And when our force loses bandwidth from losing those satellites, whatever redundancies we have, we're still going to have lag time. And in the modern warfare, uh, lag time is, is lethal to us. Uh, and it's, it's an advantage for the Chinese and the Russians who still operate in a sort of pre, uh, you know, a very uh, uh, rudimentary technological phase. And so by degrading our technological capability and bringing it back to the 1970s, they've just made us an equal. And we're, you know, confused and discombobulated for however short amount of time. And in that short amount of time, uh, the adversary has the ability to really gain an advantage over us. And uh, getting back to something that Seth was talking about before the break, I don't know if culturally or politically the United States would respond to a space Pearl Harbor with as much anger and vigor as it responded to the original Pearl Harbor attack or even to the 9-11 attacks. I mean, even after 9-11, within a year and a half after those attacks, Americans were yet again at each other's throats. And we were, you know, we were not united as we were. So it's not just a technological issue. It's not just an issue of, well, we have backups. It's an issue of also do we have the will to, you know, survive and fight on. And I don't know. I hope we do. But uh, I'd what rather would... not find out. So what, what I'm trying to do is basically encourage the government to take preemptive steps now to prevent this from becoming a reality. What do you think China's end, end game would be if they did a first strike on our military uh, communications network, satellite communications network? Certainly, be construed as an act of war. What, what would China's certainly. end game of, but, of a end, strike like that be? I think that the end game is they want to get Taiwan. They want the first island chain, and so I think they figure that America, if we, if they can keep American forces just over the horizon. The Taiwanese, no matter how well equipped they are, will be worn down. I mean, the Chinese have a Desert Storm-style uh, plan that they've been working out. I mean, there's a Chinese general that was running around not long ago about a 96-hour air campaign uh, that they have plotted out that could debilitate uh, the Taiwanese defense perimeter uh, and wear down their defense and decapitate the leadership. Uh, you know, if this is, you know, theoretical, but I think the goal would be to acquire Taiwan so that China now has extended their defensive perimeter. They've now permanently kept American forces over the horizon, and then they can pivot and strangulate Japan. They can use uh, Taiwan as a naval base, as, a, as an off point to potentially blockade Japan or to do some other nefarious business to extend their reach deeper into the Indo-Pacific. Uh, but the goal would be to keep America uh, over the horizon, and in so doing, uh, force us to uh, basically do a diplomatic deal whereby we, you know, we basically cede that part, at least, of the Indo-Pacific over to China. And as John Mearsheimer talks about, you know, once they get a base a sphere of operations or sphere of influence established firmly in, in their part of the world, it's only a matter of time before they branch out and start harassing us in our part of the world. That's just the way great powers act. Brandon Weicker, <coughs> no <coughs> no substitute for brains. You are wonderful. Thank you, sir, for your time and everything else. Thank you. You bet. We will talk to you next week. Yes, sir. Thank you. You can follow Brandon Weikert on his website at the Weikert Report. Or excuse me, www.theweikertreport. W-E-I-C-H-E-R-T. And you can indeed also follow him on Twitter. At, let me pull up his Twitter handle real quick. It's 
We the Brandon. We the Brandon. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. We will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. Did you sprint today, Bill? Did you do any sprints? I did a version. Uh, Hugh and I trained on something he put together. It's probably been done before. But we were trying to get speed. So we do this thing now on Saturdays. We did it Saturday for the first time where you sprint at breakneck speed for a shorter distance, in our case, four-tenths of a mile. Breakneck speed. And then you, in my case, heave and and rest and heave and rest and heave and yell at each other. And then you do it again like three or four more times. Is that what you do? You said four-tenths of a mile. That's a long way to sprint. Well, sprint. Uh, running fast, like eight-minute miles. Okay, so maybe you're going at 90% speed, but still still pretty fast. Eight-minute eight miles, very fast for me. I mean, I can't do that sustainably, but I guess the point is to build on that so you can sustain it. Yeah, I'm doing reverse. My warm-up jog around the block is at about 80 to 90% speed. Oh, we do a slow mile first. And then, oh, you do? Okay, yeah. so you're getting loose, too. Yeah, good yeah we do a sm- slow mile but so what when i do four tenths of mile and what is that compared to how far much farther you run than i do i think my warm-up around the block is about four tenths of a mile yeah. to get ready to sprint about 100 meters right right okay glad we got that out of the way um i'm consumed fascinated by uh by what's taking place with georgia because it's the perfect storm of everything that's wrong right now. It's it's if Tom Wolf were alive, he could have written Bonfire of the Vanities over just what's going on in Georgia. Yeah, Bonfires of the Vanity Two, not not Jim Crow Two but Bonfires of the Vanity Two. Um, it for, it forces several things for us to accept. One is that we cannot relent, we cannot flag in having to know things and be a little bit smarter than the next guy. It's harder to be a conservative. We've said that forever. But now for us to win any battle, we need to know details. The other side doesn't ever need to know. You don't need to know details when you can just say racist. You don't need to know details when you can just say Jim Crow no one knows what Jim Crow means, not even Joe Biden, who called the opposite of Jim Crow, Jim Eagle. I mean, I don't mean to dismiss what Jim Crow means. It's an awful, 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 terrible system of governance by which by which uh, not only were there poll taxes and literacy tests, but segregation orders and uh, all, all, always ending with the gnashing of teeth. Of 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 police dogs. I mean, it was it was a terrible system, a terrible system. This is to call it 2.0. Whenever you call something 2.0, I don't know if that means you make it better or worse in the sense of more potent, though, is what you make it. You make it more potent. Better or worse is the wrong equation in this case. But if someone said, well, that's Jim Crow and someone says that's Jim Crow 2.0, that means that's the improved, more potent Jim Crow. Crow. And the idea 
that asking someone to prove their identity is akin to forced business to forcing businesses not to serve blacks and whites together is akin to preventing uh, blacks and whites to marry as the anti-miscegenation laws of Jim Crow uh, proliferated. To say that those are akin to making people pay uh, through a poll tax or a literacy test um, or that they would have to accept second-class citizenship because they are asked – no, we're asking for first-class citizenship for everyone here. The idea that you have to – how did Mark – how did Mark Stein put it? Oh, it was brilliant. If Delta's board of directors wants to engage themselves in the business of Georgia election law, why don't we return the favor and have Georgia legislators take over Delta's in-flight snack service and tell them how to run that? That would be a pretty good deal, probably. A lot of peanuts and peaches, my guess. My guess. Peach ice cream. <clears throat> A lot is at play here. I'll say some more about it when we come back. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. If you don't know my friend Solar Sandy and you're thinking of going solar with your energy, home energy needs, please get to know Solar Sandy. She brought integrity back to solar in Arizona. And the real difference between her and other solar companies is not just the integrity, but that she actually figured out how to truly zero out your power bill. It's so important when going solar, you do it the right way. And Solar Sandy has that formula. She wants to put more of your hard-earned money back in your wallet. When you go solar, Solar Sandy will pay 12 months of your solar payments any portion of your power bill for the first 12 months and March Madness, Solar Sandy's promotion for the first 50 families will receive a $1,000 signing bonus. That's right. No solar panel payments, no power bills for 12 months, and a $1,000 bonus at signing. No better time to go solar with Solar Sandy than right now. Go to AskSolarSandy.com. Again, that's AskSolarSandy.com and uh, tell her Seth sent you. Dana's in Chandler. This day, Dana, is such a good day for my ego, I'll tell you, because I had this caller, Tom, earlier who dropped, and I asked him to call back, and he did. And you called in the first hour. I asked you to call back, and you did. I think I might be asking too small. Maybe. Yeah, aim for the stars. I right? need too to be high. asking for some bigger things today. Maybe. Jim Could Ryan, time thing. for a raise. Roommate, <laughs> time for, you know, a new... New menu. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. I love it. <laughs> How are you, I Dana? How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you. So we're talking about these boycotts and stuff. Yeah. And my question, I have actually two questions for you. The first one is, will our yellow stars be on our passports? For you, know, our you know, you know, you always ask me questions, Dana, that are so good. And I almost, I think it's true. It, may, it makes me wonder why you keep doing it. It's almost always true where I, I almost always have to say I don't know. You ask questions I hadn't thought about. But you're absolutely right that some idiot's going to make these passports yellow. And, um, yeah, you know, you, it's... I mean, just get it over with, right? Put I, 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 I guess, I guess so. Be done with it. I guess so. Um, except I'm just thinking you probably don't need to get it over with in New York because that community is the one that's already targeted by the government, right? 
pretty much. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. Uh, so I'm just trying to put together a couple disparate thoughts. You have to prove to some government agent that you took two shots in your arm for something that may or may not affect you and if it does likely won't have much consequence. On the one hand, that's going to be mandatory, while at the same time it is racist to ask people to prove ID to engage in their singular most important act of citizenship, voting. Right. Just so I have that right. Okay. okay. And it's guilt before innocence, right? Because you're guilty of spreading the disease until you prove that you're not or you can't or you That's don't. That's right. That's right. With such and a vaccine, then, with a vaccine, by the way, that is so ineffective, it still requires you to wear two masks. <laughs> right. Okay. Which is experimental. Right. Also. Right. That they keep forgetting to tell people about. And then, and that leads right into my second question, and that is, we have a story today of another family that's thrown off of an airplane. They, they are a Jewish family, and the minute you see the picture from the airplane, you know they are because the father is wearing a I told vest. you the community doesn't need yellow stars. They're already singled out on this stuff. Right. Well, so, and so there's my other question. It's a black flight attendant throwing them off the plane. It's a two-year-old that's eating and doesn't have a mask on, and that's why they're throwing them off the plane. And the dad says, you know, she turned two a month ago. We could have just taken her on for free and said she was two. But nice, I'm an honest nice, guy. Nice. That's actually a great a response. Yeah. Yeah. He bought her a seat because she's two in one month. And my question to you is, with all of this, you know, George Floyd is racist and, and you know, white people are the evil, evil. When are white people going to start calling out or when are Jews going to start calling out the other side? You know, that this is racist. Maybe this was a racist thing because she's a black flight attendant and they're a Jewish family. But, you know, we don't play that card. But but maybe it's time we do. And I don't know. I don't have the answer. But, you know, you fight fire with fire, right? Well, I don't have the answer either, Dana. But I will tell you, you know, first they came for the socialists and I didn't speak out because I wasn't a socialist. And then they came for the trade unionists, and I didn't speak out because I was not a trade unionist. And then they came for the Jews, and I didn't speak out because I wasn't a Jew. And then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak, right? That's yep. the attitude we have to have about this. And, and I will t- <clears throat> tell you as sure as uh, – what's, 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 what's the silly thing the other person – that someone said the other day? As sure as I'm convinced the sun will rise in the east tomorrow, as sure as I'm convinced of that – I will tell you that a white flight attendant would never tell a black family they had to get off because their two-year-old wasn't masked. I guarantee you never. that would not have been and tolerated if, and, and it would not did, happen. And if they did, the black family would scream racism and they'd get away with it. And they may or may not be right in that case because there's no other reason, frankly, that I can think of to kick a family off an airplane because the two-year-old isn't wearing a mask. Do you know all the, do you know, I mean, for these companies that have this concern over science and you would think an airline company cares at least about physics, are you, you are, I know you are, but are they aware of all the pediatric and medical studies about damages masks do to children? I mean, let's debate it for adults as we want, but as far as children dealing with stress and fear and anxiety and language development, there is a wealth 
of research on what mask wearing does to these children, never mind reading expressions and learning social social um, uh, social uh, uh, appropriateness. Never mind all that stuff. I mean, we're you're talking... Assuming they actually, hmm? You're assuming they actually care about kids, which we know they don't because they think abortion's great. So it, it's sort point. of... It sort of does go together. Stay vigilant, Dana. Stay j- vigilant. Oh. I know. The more we do this, the more we want to spend time with our doggies. You're great. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. Thanks for spending some of your afternoon with us. I'll um, close with uh, where, where I started in my monologue, which was on... Georgia and Major League Baseball, Coke and Delta. I hope they feel our purchasing power. There are plenty of alternatives to Coke. It's not even that great a healthy thing to do in the first place. But there are plenty of alternatives. There are plenty of alternatives to Delta. And I think we can get on by not giving our money to Major League Baseball. Bill, you're out, right? You're done. You're done. You were hanging on for a little while. They will never get another penny from me. Thank you. But beware the trend of the fire drill, the Holmesian fire drill. What do I mean by the Holmesian fire drill? It was Oliver Wendell Holmes who came up with the construct that one doesn't have the right to falsely shout fire in a crowded theater. What Holmes was trying to say is that there are fire drills in life that aren't legal false pulling of them, shouting in the place of them. Racism is the new fire drill. It cuts off all debate. It's a clang. It's supposed to shatter all thought and have us all be Harrison Bergerons once again. Meanwhile, they will tell us it's about racism, not politics. It's about patriotism, not Republican Party or Democratic Party or red or blue. It's red, white, and blue. They love doing that. They love doing that. But I said a week ago, we're going to have to learn the Georgia election law. We're going to have to now to defend it. Because, as Brian Kemp said in the interview we aired a little earlier, absolutely rightly, it's coming to your state next. And not every legislature and not every governor is as strong and as backboned as to stand up to Coke and Delta and other major institutions. Let's show those corporations what true will and reason really is. I'm Seth Leibson. We'll be back tomorrow. God bless and class dismissed.